Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. Ever wanted to play the drums, or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan Lamagna. Dan Lamagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world, and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585. 0585 for your free online drum lesson. All right, this episode of the A-Game Podcast is brought to you by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see under the affiliates, Naked Warrior Recovery, get your discounted CBD. If you go on there, it is a Navy SEAL-owned CBD brand. So William Brannon, hailing again out of Hawaii, one of my favorite places on earth, Uh, Follow him on Instagram. I have his links and stuff on the show notes. He is doing really cool things with his company. It's a really great product. There's a lot of garbage out there as far as CBD goes. I see people order stuff online, buying stuff at gas stations. It is not all created equal. You do need to make sure that you're dealing with a good company and a good product, which Naked Warrior Recovery absolutely is. If you go on that and you use promo code AGAME, you will get 20% off when you follow that affiliate link and put in that promo code. They have t-shirts, they have gummies, they have drops, they have clothes, they have all kinds of different things there. You can rub it on if you have tight muscles, injuries, things like that. Internally for health, anxiety, sleep, inflammation, appetite, tons of different things. I really feel CBD is a miracle drug. You have to take it for 30, 60 days consistently, and then you will notice a lot of those aches and pains and things that were nagging on you suddenly just disappear. So Make sure that we start to, uh, to use that. I don't think you will regret it. There's tons of research to prove the uh, positive effects. It does not get you high. It does not have THC in it. So CBD is a miracle drug nowadays. Jump on nicknicknick.com slash links and give it a go. Also, danlamagna.com. If you want to check it out, you can get a free online drum lesson. See the show notes for that as well. Uh, you can also text the number if you text drummer to the number 833-632-0585. You can get a free online drum lesson with my brother, Dan Lamagna, who's played in tons of great bands, such as Biohazard, Walls of Jericho, The Real McKenzie's, uh, tons of different bands, played all over the world. Great drummer, fantastic person, and uh, link up with him. So we just did an interview with Nick Burton. 
Nick Burton is the acquisitions manager for Tim Bratz, who is a massive player on the commercial side of things. And I've known uh, Nick, I guess, just about as long as I've known Tim, because I met them at the same event, I believe. And uh, I remember it was one of the first, um, the first times, again, like I said in the episode, that I had met somebody that was an acquisitions guy. And I was like, man, that's really smart. Cause usually I'm like, Hey, send me deals. And then I have to look at the deal. I have to scrub the deal. Then I have to try and do all the different parts of the deal, run the rehab. I mean, I was doing all of it from getting the management side and, and just for him to be able to go out and do the networking side of stuff and then have somebody designated just the acquisitions I thought was brilliant. And that was really the first uh, introduction I had to the world of the investors that I'm around now on a, a more regular basis that have key team members, but especially on the commercial side, I love how Tim keeps those people in place. So his acquisitions guy, just as his acquisitions for the most part, it becomes an expert is that he plays first base. He's a first baseman. Then he's got his, his project management guy. That guy's the third baseman. He only plays third base. He's got his pitcher who's only working, worrying about pitching. That guy handles just his property management and it allows those people to be great at what they do. And I think that that's a really, really smart thing. So having key people in key positions, I think is an absolutely smart play to do when you're doing real estate. Now, again, starting out, Maybe you don't have all those people. Maybe you do need to start to look at things. So whether you're somebody who is already in some of these masterminds, especially even with me, and you're dealing with high level stuff, the fact that Tim really gets to go out and do a lot of the fun stuff, like have the conversations, have the drinks, do the schmoozing, you know, to me, that's fun stuff. But there's people that hate that. Some people don't like to go out there and be personal and do networking and go out there and have drinks and schmooze and talk about what they do. They like to sit behind the, the computer and, and take care of marketing or, or run numbers. So again, everybody just gets to, to be good at what they are, but you can't be good at everything. So I love first and foremost, breaking that down into that aspect of it. And I think it's a key position. So again, starting to put that business together, if you're starting out, I remember Mark Evans gave a good benchmark. He said, especially on the residential side, if you're not closing at least a deal a week for, I think he said 10 or 12 weeks, you should be doing everything on your own. So where do you start? How do you build up? So when you're starting out, probably just you. So you, you have to learn a lot of these pieces, a lot of these battle stations, because again, when I first started doing this, I was doing everything on the residential side. And when I did that, it wound up allowing me to learn a lot of the pieces. And again, I can't be great at everything, but I can have a really good idea and be pre very, pretty, very, pretty proficient in a lot of the things that I'm doing. So I was doing contracts, I was doing the rehab budgets, I was running the ARV, I was negotiating with the realtors, I was scrubbing the deals, I was doing the networking, I was doing the marketing, I was you know, doing all the different pieces. I didn't love all of the pieces. I didn't really like looking over contracts. I couldn't stand details. I was more the 30,000 foot view guy. I just wanted to go, 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 go. So I wound up teaming up with somebody who was very good at the analytical side. They were good at like what we just said with Nick Burton. Their job was to beat up the deal. So. If you are the person that likes to go out there and do stuff and get stuff done, once you've gotten to the point that you're saying, okay, I'm consistently closing deals now, I got some money coming in so I can start to pay an acquisitions person or a marketing person or whoever my next person in that project is, now I can start to figure out what I like and what I don't like and have them work on that piece. So I could say, okay, I've done all my part. Here's everything I think is good. Now your part is to beat this deal up and tell me what I did wrong. I love that part of it. Now that's not always fun. It doesn't always feel good to have somebody beat up your deal. But one of the things that Nick said was when people come back to him 
whether it's a year later or whatever it is, that one guy that I think it was, you know, he's, he's up to 500 something units in 18 months. He was like, you know what? I appreciate it because looking back, those weren't good deals. He didn't know what it was. You just wanted to go to happen so bad. So, you know, on my side of it, again, I, I have them beat up, but I learned stuff from all that. So it, it again, just like jujitsu, there's guys that can kick my ass, but they can't tell me how they did it. I get a lot out of the guy that'll beat me up. Okay. Here's what you did wrong. Here's what you didn't see. Here's what you shouldn't do again. And that helps me a lot. Not necessarily always learning what to do, but also learning what not to do, I think is an absolutely huge piece there. So that part of, of Nick Burton saying, I learned how to have a little bit of a better etiquette and bedside manner of explaining to them why the deal doesn't work. What did they do wrong? To me, that's the biggest benefit in working with people, especially people that have experience and reference points like that is learning what not to do. So that part is huge. Now, again, then I start meeting up with people and, and, and splitting up duties and having partners. So if I want to go to Italy for a month or I, I have to take off or whatever, it's important that I know all those pieces because if my acquisition guy can't get to that deal, I know I'm still capable of looking at it. So, you know, my partner at the time, a few years ago in residential, he would start looking over the contracts. Again, he would beat up the deal. He would do all the analytical stuff. He would be basically what a transaction coordinator is now. I still knew how to do all that stuff because I needed to just in case he couldn't. What if he gets hit by a bus? Whatever it is. So I like to make sure that I'm very self-reliant, that I can do those things. And then I can slowly give those roles away for the stuff that I don't enjoy doing. But I know that if I need to do them, I can. So again, that's important. And when people start out, they always ask, well, like, what should I do? What should he do? And, and I'm a big believer in, again, learning all those pieces, because especially if it's a new relationship, people that used to come to my, my classes all the time, they'd be strangers. They barely know each other. Hey, we're going to partner up. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. I don't know how well that's going to work out. Most people don't do what they say they're going to do, even when they have a long-term relationship. You know, look at marriages, look at any type of relationship with business partners. People break up all the time. Partnerships fail all the time. Attorneys make a lot of people, well, they make themselves a lot of money, but they do a lot of work uh, dissolving those types of partnerships professionally and personally. So that is the thing that the odds of somebody holding themselves up to that standard and there not being problems is slim to none. So don't set yourself up from the beginning of only knowing half of your business. You really want to learn the whole thing and then again, start to scale up. So let's play that through. Now we start to say, all right, on the residential side, okay, I like putting out offers. I like looking at deals. Now to me, that's a skill because it allows me to see what's realistic in the market. Now, this goes out to the next point of Nick said that one of the things he likes to do or or he has done, he's looked over thousands and thousands and thousands of deals. And I told the story about my first deal on the commercial side. I looked at the two deals and I said, hey, you know what? I think these are great deals. And my, my mentor at the time looked at me and said, well, why do you think they're great deals? So, well, these numbers are good. So compared to what? How many deals have you looked at? Well, the first two I looked at. You don't know if they're a good deal or not. You don't have a reference point. And that's a really important thing. So training people for what's a realistic expectation, I think is important. And I get, oh, well, you know, then you're going you're gonna to deflate people from maybe going towards this $100,000 deal, this million-dollar deal, buy-in-the-sky, whatever it is. It's not true. There's definitely deals you can get that are going to be those buy-in-the-sky deals or those home runs. But some people I see base their business model on only grand slams. And it's like Nick said, all they're really doing at that point is just putting a bunch of offers out. And that's, that's not cool. Cool is not putting out offers on real estate and analyzing deals. Cool is closing on deals. That's how you make money by closing on deals. So you have to get to the point that you're, you're finding a realistic expectation. You're not convincing yourself to chase the dream scenario or a unicorn deal that's never going to happen. So you don't have to face 
the fact of making a decision. That's what I see with a lot of people. They come up with an unrealistic expectation. They laugh at everybody else. Oh, ha, ha, I'm not going to take this deal. 12% cap rate. Oh, get out of here. I only buy 20%. No, you don't. You don't buy anything. You hold off for that, but you don't really do. And I get a lot of those emails. So I try and hold a realistic expectation with people when they, they I've been getting a lot of this back. I think there's a, some guru or somebody, some seminar person, some teacher, some coach that's, I think, doing the same script to everybody. That, so I'm getting a lot of the same emails of people saying, I want to hear about your property. And then you send them the info on the property and they're right back. Oh, sorry. And it's like word for word. Oh, you know, I'm looking for something with some more aggressive returns. If you can't accept this offer, let me know if you have anything else. And I'm going, man, this is pretty aggressive return realistically. And I'll, I'll try and ask them, well, what do you mean by aggressive returns? What are you looking for? Because I gave you numbers and, and I want them to give me numbers back. Otherwise, it's just all BS to me. You don't even know what you're shooting for. So if you don't have a target for what you expect is cash flow or return or units or anything, I'm not going to adjust my model when you don't even know what your model is. I want better. What is better? What does that even mean? I want a 50% cap or you know, I want a 50 cap. I want a 30% ROI. I don't know. Tell me. Tell me something because at some point your numbers are going to be so unrealistic that if you can get those deals, sell them to me. But the reality is you're, you're not going to find them. So I'll tell people after they insist on, oh, you know, this deal just doesn't work. And I know my numbers are right. And they go, oh, yeah, you know, I, I want something better. Okay, well, this is really good. I don't know anything that I've seen in a decent area like this that's got a better return than this or close to it. So show me the last two or three deals that you bought that were successful deals in good areas at those numbers. You probably never have. That would be my guess, especially not something that you're getting um, underperforming. Buy something like Nick said, first off, beautiful property, A-class neighborhood. He barely looks at it because he knows those pretty deals that all the heavy lifting's already been done. It's not getting a good deal on it. So when I get this nonsense that people go, I only buy cash flowing assets and I only buy them at this return. And they give me these pie in the sky, crazy cash on cash or cap rate or, or income NOI expense ratios. It's nonsense. You're not buying those things. Those things don't exist. I don't believe it for a second. So you know, find something realistic. I, I know after looking at deals and looking at returns and even fielding offers from real buyers that actually can prove those things. I know what a decent deal is in decent areas now. And I know what a crappy pro forma is in some of those heavy, as he said, quote unquote, war zones. Some people get upset about that, but they're very labor intensive. So at some point, yes, maybe you're looking at other deals people are sending you that they're telling you have really high returns. But most of those that I look at, First off, the numbers really aren't accurate. They're not reflecting what's actually happening. They might be pro forma. And some of those unrealistic or exceptionally high cap rates or rates of return or cash on cash returns or cash flow properties that are so dirt cheap, a lot of the times those are in really, really tough areas that you're going to have trouble keeping your tenants. You're going to be dealing with police and crime and violence and drug dealers. And it's going to cost you more money in the end to actually keep that building stabilized then it's worth. And even if you haven't making money, it could be a lot of trauma, a lot of headaches. So something nice middle of the road, you know, starting out, maybe you want to get into some of those C, C plus areas. That's a lot of the stuff that I was doing, which not bad. It's not war zones or not drug dens. Maybe I wouldn't live in those places, but I'm perfectly fine investing in those nice cash flow markets that you got to keep people out from time to time. Maybe they don't have the best upkeep, but they're safe, they're clean, they're functional, and they make money. They don't look the sexiest, but on paper, they cash flow very sexy. They get you very sexy returns. So now on the, the residential side, again, you go to start to partner out, you're looking at things and you got to have somebody beat up those deals and, and teach you, like he said, what's realistic, what's not, why is it a good deal? Why is that a bad deal? And that's going to deflate you. So some people don't have that bedside manner, but you can't take it personally and think it's me. 
You know, they, they're turning me down. No, they're turning the deal down. And if you have a good deal, the same way he said, if you had a great deal, they're going to, they're going to take it regardless of who you are. So, you know, if some of you are saying, well, I don't have any credibility, it's cool that there's a lot of people out there to partner with now. And a lot of people to do different things with, um, but I want to go over a couple of these, these key points in there. And one of them is beating up the deal. I think everybody should have somebody to beat their deals up, you know, cause it's very easy to get excited about it and you come out, Oh, look what I found. Okay. Well, did you think about this? Did you look at this? I saw this property is not in the same school district. Property is not the same square footage. You know, area is really not checking out. I don't see any pro forma rents or anything on the market. That's anywhere near that condition at that price point with that rent or the expenses are unrealistic. You just name it. And those are again, all tools that you put in your tool belt. So, you know, you don't want to be negative all the time, but there's a difference that I keep saying, the calculator doesn't lie. And we heard about not getting emotional and not getting emotional is such an important thing in real estate because that's the stuff that's going to make you force a deal. Don't force deals. That should be the whole point of this whole thing is, you know, face the reality. Don't look at it for what it could be. Look at it for what it is. So when you have somebody who's going to look and try and find all the bad in your deal, it's not because they're trying to deflate you. It's because they're trying to help you. Because again, I'd ra rather you have no deals than a bad deal, especially on the commercial side. The amount of money you could lose on a bad commercial deal, it could cripple you. It could bankrupt you. And Nick Burton touched on that. He said, we're all, you know, a great deal away from being rich and a bad deal away from being broke. And that's really what keeps happening is that the, the stakes get higher and higher as you go into bigger and bigger, bigger deals. So beating up the deal, find somebody who's going to find the things wrong and then use that because I keep saying deals are not found. Deals are created. That's such an important piece because those are facts the things that come back on inspection reports, the appraisal reports that come back, the the snaking of the drains that comes back from getting those those uh, the plumbing checked out like he was talking about and getting those lines scoped, those are facts. And when you come back to the sellers and you say, hey, here's the facts, here's the things that really happen. Yeah, a lot of the time their initial reaction is gonna be screw this, screw you, that's not that bad, this guy's this, this guy's that. Uh, but then they have time to settle down. And when the reality sets in and they had already started spending that money, they were already buying things with the money they were going to make off of that deal that you were supposed to buy for them. Now they go, you know what? If I don't sell it to you, I'm still going to have to put it back on the market. Somebody that's going to come in, unless it's a straight cash deal, most people, especially on these bigger price points, they're going to want um, inspections. They're going to want appraisals. They're going to want people to go through and check these things out. And those things are going to come up regardless. So at some point it's like, you can face it now, or you can face it later. And who knows what this other person is going to find. And now you got to put it back on the market 30, 60 days of due diligence. Maybe that's going to come up again and then they're going to have to renegotiate again. Or it's, it's inevitable. So those things that sometimes are the negatives that people beat your deals up with can allow you to go back to the seller with those facts, present it politely and confidently, and now you can create a great deal. So as much as it stinks to get some of those reports back and hear some of the things that are wrong with your property, you have to look at it as these are the things that I'm going to go back to them with and it's going to help me create a great deal. And if it doesn't, then it wasn't a deal anyway and I shouldn't be buying it. And now I've learned a bunch of really great lessons about something else to look for on the next deal. And on the next deal, there'll be less and less things every time I do this that are coming up, coming up, coming up. Now, again, I don't care who you are. Regardless, no matter how good you get at analyzing deals, no matter how many deals you've done, I hear people think that because myself or somebody like Nick Burton or some of the other guests I've had have been doing this for a long time and have looked at a lot of deals and done a lot of properties, 
that they don't come across things all the time on deals that they have to back out or renegotiate. The reality is a lot of times the story that the seller is portraying on the property or that the broker or the realtor is portraying the property isn't reality. So we can only base our offers on the information that we're given. And a lot of times that information isn't accurate. And then we get the property under contract based on that information we were given. And then when we get the real story on that property from inspectors, from appraisers, from you know plumbers, from all the people that are coming in through on your team, Okay, now we have the real story and now we have to go back and we have to face the reality and present it. And sometimes we can't get a deal. We can't save a deal. Sometimes we can, but it happens just as much because we can only go off of what we're given. You don't want to spend too much time going through deals that you don't have under contract yet. You want to make a quick offer. There's other people looking at it, get it tied up so it's out of contract. And now you can take your time going through your due diligence and then figure out the fine tuning then. So one of the things I've said a lot on this podcast are, Underanalyze the deal as much as possible before accepted offer. Just get it under contract, then overanalyze the deal after accepted offer during your due diligence period. So you can always have those protections to back out as long as you have your inspection clauses in those contracts. But you know, run some quick numbers, use some generalities, use your best judgment, use the calculator, don't use the emotion. Put the offer out, get it tied up, and then we can verify all of the information that we were given. Now, don't just go tie up properties at asking price just to back out later on and hope you get a price reduction. That's bad business. But I have gotten plenty of price reductions. There's times that I've asked for very little off, a couple hundred bucks here, a couple hundred bucks there, and I've gotten a hard no. There's other times that I've asked for $38,000 on a residential home, specifically this one was in Asheville, North Carolina, and we got an immediate yes and a thank you note from the seller. So you just don't know. And that no is, is sometimes just to know that day because they're mad, they're having a bad day, but then they go to sleep. The reality sets in of what's happening. They call you back and they say, you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to yell at you yesterday. I didn't mean to turn down your deal. I was thinking about it. Talk to my husband. I talked to my wife. You got yourself a deal today. Now you have created a deal where you went home and had a bad day and went, oh man, this sucks. I'm never going to get a deal, but you have to be patient. You have to stick with it. So first off, underanalyze prior to accepted offer, overanalyze after accepted offer. Two, find somebody to beat up your deals and maybe you'd be somebody to beat up other people's deals because it's keeping you in check. It's keeping you in reality. Don't let it bum you out. Use it as a learning tool because deals are not found. Deals are created. Now, again, learning from mistakes, I think is a huge thing, especially when we're talking like with Nick on the commercial side where they're doing million dollar deals. These are things that I want to be very aware of because I don't want to be the person who made a $50,000 error in judgment because I didn't get the, the plumbing uh, pipes uh, snaked or scoped. That's a big deal. You know, I, I don't want to learn that I, I bought a HUD property and now I couldn't get any of those rents. Or if you've ever heard Tim tell that nightmare story of stuff, you know, there's so many things that you can learn from other people's mistakes. And you really should be going out and asking people's opinions, joining groups, joining masterminds, finding mentors. And it's not because you know, I'm a mentor and I want business. I'm not even mentoring right now. It's not even what I do anymore, but I see the importance of it. And I pay for people like that all the time that I know are high level that have made a bunch of mistakes and lost their asses a bunch of times and fought to get it back to make sure that I don't do that. You know, I want to find somebody who's made a ton of mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And, and to me, there's so much value in that. I keep saying black belts are not people that have gotten their asses kicked. I'm sorry. They're not people that just kick everybody's ass. They're people that gotten their ass kicked a thousand times and know all the different things that don't work all the different ways they've taken those beatings. So you don't have to take them. They can save you those bumps, those bruises, that time, that, that brain damage, even if it's not money loss, the energy that goes into bad deals and stressful deals, 
it's just not worth it. So as much as you want to force a deal and you really want a deal to happen and you really want to make money, you really want to get an accepted offer, have somebody without a vested interest in it, take an honest look, beat up that deal and let you know, because when you do get a good deal, it's going to be worth the wait. And the beautiful part again about commercial real estate is you don't need a ton of them. You just need one. And if that's something you want to get into and you want some help, reach out to me. We could talk about maybe doing something on the commercial side um, for, for, teaching things through. I don't know. We'll figure something out, but I definitely want to make sure that you or anybody listening to this has a good experience because you are literally one deal away from changing your life when you're talking about commercial real estate. So have somebody beat it up so you don't make that a bad deal because that could easily go the other way and now you never want to do real estate again. Um, so learning from mistakes is another big thing. Um, strict criteria. I've talked about this a bunch of times, but if you don't even know what you want, how is somebody else supposed to know if you want? <coughs> So don't base your criteria on what other people are doing. If you're starting out, it's not easy to get A and B class properties that are going to perform at a tank cap after they're stabilized. But Tim has a history of closing. He's done deals in other areas. He's made those mistakes. He's built up that track record. He's built up a reputation. He's built up a team. So, you know, don't start to, to measure yourself based on what a guy like that is doing because he had to work his way up there and he's going to, he started with a lot of the same properties that most people would start with. And I've heard him say it a bunch of times at, at his, uh, his events is, you know, if you got to start with a, a 20 or a 25 unit in a CC plus area, if it's a good deal, just do it. You know, start to get some assets on your books, start to get some shutting your tires, start to get some experience because on the commercial side, if you want to start getting loans from people, especially in the conventional side, they're looking for experience. I, I've had people recently that were not able to get good funding on their deals a hundred percent because they had not had any experience. Now they've done residential, they owned homes, they had great credit, they had great income, they had great assets, didn't have any commercial experience. So they're not gonna give them a loan on a commercial property. They would have to bring in a sponsor or they're just gonna have to pay the higher rate and get the lower loan to value. That's part of what happened. So start to build it up and figure out what are you comfortable with? You know, I just did a 10 unit. It was a much different experience than doing the 66 unit that I did because I don't know, just something about me being able to, I, I could remember all the names of the tenants the first day. I knew all the units. They were, it's just a lot more bite size, you know? And now I felt like getting that up and running, getting that stabilized was able to be done a lot quicker. And there was already people in there. It was already making money. We were just finding ways to get some of the bad out and, and move some things around. So even when there were some hits and some stuff that you had to put some money into, it wasn't like forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a pop, maybe a thousand here, a couple hundred there, a couple hundred there. Then you get a couple thousand in manageable bite-sized comfort level, maybe for somebody else that's not worth it. You know, pulling out 50, 60, 70 grand on that, making four or five grand a month, not good enough for you. Great. Okay. Maybe a 15 unit, maybe 20 unit, but you know, start with something also measure out. What are you willing to do? Because sometimes doing a value add, like he talks about when you buy the stress property, there's a big difference in the money that you need out the way you're going to get the loan on it for some of these people and the amount of legwork and energy and babysitting you're going to have to do. If you're buying a property that's not making money yet, maybe it's got five, 10, 15, 20% occupancy. So the building's really negative when you buy it. And now you have to get everybody out, get everybody back in, fix all these things up. It's going to be four five, six months before you're even breaking even on that property. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money on those types of properties, but Maybe starting out, that's not great for you comfort-wise. Maybe you, you're not realizing how much money you actually need to borrow ahead of time before you get to a point that you're even breaking even or making any type of cash flow, and you don't want to wait four, five, six months to do that. 
So maybe you buy a property that's just a little under market value with a couple of bad tenants. You know, it's at 70, 80% occupancy, like the 10 unit I did. 80% occupancy, 70% occupancy. You turn some people over, you get some people back in there, but it's never to the point that it's negative. You know, even if I have to turn two or three tenants, half that building is still going to sustain all the expenses for that property for the principal interest, taxes, insurance, management fees, all those different things. So a little less risk, you know, not as much reward, but where do you start? You know, you sell your tenant, you go up to your 20, you sell your 20, you go up to your 25 unit. Maybe this area, it, it wasn't a bad area. You know, again, I wouldn't have lived there, but wasn't a bad area at all. As far as, uh, you know, I spent days there. So it wasn't, I was never scared there. Nobody bothered me there. It wasn't any fights. It wasn't anything going on like that. So, you know, now maybe I go, okay, well, I'm, I'm willing to take a little bit of risk in this area. I know I'm going to have to be a little bit more labor intensive, a little bit more on top. My manager had to go in and really show some dominance and make her, her, um, make her position and her presence felt over there at first to gain their respect. And maybe, you know what, I'm going to go to a little bit of a nicer area. So if I'm going to go into a nicer area now starting out, maybe I have to take a little bit less of return because maybe I'm not getting the same cap rate or the same cash on cash return, but I'm, I'm getting safer, safer money. I'm getting less turnover, less expenses. So at the end of the day, it's a little bit more manageable. It's less maintenance. It's less stress. It's less headaches, a little bit less money, but I'm still making money. It's still a good deal. I can turn it maybe over six, 12 months into something better. Just things to think about. So start to think about what areas are you willing to invest in? What areas are you not willing to invest in? How big a property, five, 10, 15, 20, 50, a hundred, what's realistic for, what you can maintain, what you can manage, what you're willing to put in as far as a risk tolerance, what type of money you're going to have to borrow to get into those. You know, that's another thing is getting those bridge loans, getting private investors, getting sponsors. You know, you buy a hundred unit, what are you doing? Maybe you have to rent, raise 10 million, 15 million. That might be crazy right now. Maybe you need to find something that you only need a hundred grand, 200 grand, 300 grand, 50 grand. I don't know. That's another thing to figure out. What am I comfortable raising? What am I needing? How, how much am I going to need? Maybe I just want something stabilized. Maybe I want something beat up in distress that I can fix up, refinance, or flip. That might be something there too. You know, what type of price points am I looking for? What, what type of occupancy am I looking for? Do I want a property that has half occupancy, 80% occupancy? It's already making money. It's not making any money. I want a complete dud that I can take from scratch, rebuild, build up, a lot of risk, a lot of reward. I'm, I'm willing to take the risk tolerance on and make a million dollars on a deal. I don't know. Just think about it and start to have that criteria and set a very strict standard because of that. It's exactly like Nick said, he's able to filter through a lot of these deals because he's able to say quick yes, quick no, quick yes, quick no, because he's got very strict criteria that they follow and they try not to deviate from them, which keeps them from getting emotional on their deals and allows them to sort through to the ones that they really like. So pulling through that now, passion was another thing you talked about, be passionate about stuff, but it doesn't have to be passionate about real estate. There's days they love real estate. Today was a great day. Close a property the other day, you know, nothing really crappy happened today, but there's days that it does. It's a very love-hate relationship of being an entrepreneur. You have to have thick skin. You have to learn how to weigh it out, but that passion, that second thing you do, you know, he gets to turn around and look at all those toys he had in the background. He had all the, the, the figures and the, the sneakers and all that stuff. It's a constant reminder of this is why I do this, you know, whether that's your kids, your family, your house, your vacations, you know, flying around, sitting first class, you're having beautiful, nice dinners with great bottles of wine, you're going to Hawaii, you're putting your kids in great schools, whatever it is, that's the thing that you go, that, that's exactly why I'm doing this. That's why it's worth it. That's why I'm not going to accept that this deal doesn't work or this guy doesn't want to lend money or real estate's not for me. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Maybe I quit for the day, maybe I have a bad day, but overall, the real estate is going to be the thing that feeds my passion. 
My passion could be anything. It could be sneakers. It could be dolls, travel, family, jujitsu. But real estate's the thing that'll get you there and allows you to do it on your time. And the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. That's what I've always loved about this business. Um, lastly, he talked about David Goggins. Uh, I love that book. We talked about that book a little bit uh, on this podcast before. Amazing book. So can't hurt me. It's uh, one of those things that really shows you what the ability of the mind is. So as much as everybody wants to shit on the mindset of stuff, I get people all the time, man, just give me the numbers. Give me the formula. Give me the calculator. Give me the answers. They don't want to hear the mindset stuff. The most successful people I know, they will tell you that's the most important part of anything, whether it's an athlete, whether it's an entrepreneur, somebody who does, I mean, almost anything successful, you, you name it, that's one of the biggest pieces of it. And if you're the kind of person who thinks you don't need that, you need it more than anything. How many podcasts do you listen to that people give book recommendations and almost every time it's mindset books? How many shows have you listened to? There's a reason why Tony Robbins is doing a big freaking online thing right now with like, oh, I think it was like 60 million, something, something insane, like all over the country, all over the world, I'm sorry. Um, and people are signing out for that. And he sells them out over and over and over again because people need the mindset. Now, again, there, there's a, a fine line between some of the stuff. There's a little bit too much rah-rah sometimes for me personally, but I wasn't always like that. I used to love that stuff. Now I just have to find a way to place it in there, but I'd be lying to you if I said there wasn't days that I don't need that. And sometimes it's not the best to go get it from your, your family or, or your business partner because maybe they're dealing with it too, especially now with COVID, with everybody having that stress gives you a neutral place to kind of rejuvenate and, and, and refresh yourself and doing things like exercise and going to jujitsu, resetting, buying your favorite toys online like he did can all help you out a lot. So um, not really much of a consistent theme on this one. I just wanted to touch on some of the key points that uh, Nick reminded me of as we were going through this. So he's more than just a guy with a mustache and a beautiful name. Nick Burton has a reference point for those deals. So backing up and recapping one, look at a lot of deals. You're getting into fix and flips. Awesome. Look at a lot of fix and flips before you buy one. So you have a reference point for what's a good deal. What's a bad deal. What's a realistic return. What can you expect? Look at it. Find somebody to beat it up and also be the person to beat up somebody else's deals. It keeps you honest. I'd rather you have no deals than bad deals. The time, the money, the energy, all that stuff is, is really, really big deal. So starting out, I think Mark Evans' rule of uh, 10 to 12 weeks of closing a deal a week on the residential side before you bring in a team member is really important. Think about what you like to do, what you don't like to do. And when you do start to scale up and bring acquisition managers in and, and cold callers in and all these different people, use people that have opposite strengths and weaknesses than you. They're doing the things that you don't like to do, but know all those parts. Learn as much as you can on how to do them. So if you need to switch people out, train them, take over at some point, you're fluent on all those things. Find mentors that you can learn from their mistakes. You know, that's the biggest thing. Find black belts that have already taken those beatings so you don't have to take those financial and mental beatings that other people have taken because entrepreneurial stuff, especially the real estate stuff, it, it could be a lot of money and a lot of stress and a lot of headaches. There's a lot of benefits to masterminds, groups, and mentorships on that side, especially on the commercial side. Find your passion, find your criteria, be very specific on what it is. Your passion will keep you going on the days you want to quit. Your criteria will make it easier for you to not be bogged down and be able to focus on the things that are important. Um, scale up, get some properties under your belt, start to build up your portfolios. Not everybody's going to start out as the Tim Brots taking down B and A class areas buildings that are, are performing 10 caps when stabilized and being able to raise millions and millions and millions of dollars and have people just bring them deals because they can close, but you'll get there. Start somewhere, figure out what your comfort level is, but don't just shoot for the grand slams, get some deals, make some money, get your track record up, read David's Goggins book, get some mindset stuff in there 
Have a great day. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope it wasn't too much rambling. Send me some topics of things you guys want to take care of or, or hear about. I'm happy to teach a little bit more of that. We're getting some great guests coming on over the next few weeks. Um, and uh, if you can go on uh, Google and Google the A-Game podcast iTunes, it'll come up. You select it on iTunes. You scroll down. You write read a review. Please give it five stars. I write a quick review on there. It'll literally take you two minutes, and it goes a long way. If you guys can please do that, I really appreciate it. If you're looking to get involved in investing real estate on some level, contact me, www.nicknicknick.com or nicknicknick.com slash links. We could talk about getting you into a deal, buying a property from you, selling a property to you, working out some type of joint venture or potentially some sort of mentoring. I don't know. I'm open to whatever it is. But let's figure it out. Let's get you guys going. Hope you had a great week. Love you, Mom. Love you, Ralph. He's barking down there. Have a great day. Oh, my God.